Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christ Church of Orinoco. Our hope is that it would help you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. Good morning, church. I'd love for you to open your Bibles to that passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and have that available as we're going to be looking at bits and pieces of it as we continue our series this morning. I also want to encourage you with an opportunity that's coming up nationally. There is a a group called The Return, and they are holding a day of prayer on Saturday for our nation. And it is uh, an encouragement that I want to share with you to take some time on Saturday to join with us as we'll be praying for the direction of our nation and most of all for the repentance of our nation as a whole. In the division that we're experiencing and the hatred and the anger and the violence, we need to be a people that are not just criticizing and, and viewing and editorializing, but actually responding with the power that we have available to us, which is to pray. And so we'll encourage you to do that. There is a a national event taking place in Washington called The Return, and I just want to be honest with you always as a church. Uh, I want you to understand that some of the speakers and some of the things they talk about, I'm not 100% theologically cool with. I, I don't agree, but I do believe in prayer, and I do believe that that's one thing we could do on Saturday is invest ourselves really strongly as a church, praying for, taking a time to seek God's wisdom and God's uh, purposes for each of us as we serve one another and care for one another. So I wanna encourage you in that direction. In this series in 1 Corinthians, we've been looking at the principles that Paul is using to help a church that is dealing with difficulties and dealing with things that must be dealt with to follow Jesus fully. And so looking at these principles are important for us. And I want you to remember that the cruciformed life, being shaped by the man on the cross, and the work of the cross, it changes the way we think, changes the way we act, and it changes who we become. There's a challenge for us in this particular principle that we're gonna talk about today to the way we think, act, and become as people shaped by the man of the cross and shaped by the work of the cross. Last week we talked about how we might give up our freedoms to help others that are believers walk deeper into faith that we might slow down our walk of faith, not stop it, but slow down to allow others to join us to experience the freedom in Jesus. Now you heard the text read this morning and you realize it sounds really similar because Paul's talking again about freedom. Is this just another week in how we live out our freedom? It is, but it's different. What we're actually doing this week is we're looking at what it means to live in such a way that our freedoms are denied so that others might understand Jesus for the first time. You see, last week's chapter dealt with those who are walking in faith, and this week it talks about how we might live in our freedom in such a way as to help those who are not walking by faith and who don't understand why they should. So I wanna open with a very provocative statement this morning, and I wanna challenge you to think through it with me. If I offend you this morning, my intention's not to offend you unless the offense taken actually shapes you. So here we go. Are you a follower of Jesus? Now, I didn't ask you if you're a Christian, because unfortunately in our world, the the word Christian has been defined by the individual rather than by Jesus. When When the understanding of being a Christ follower, a Christian, is defined by Jesus, it's completely different than when it's defined by the world, because the world might say, well, I go to church, and I'm a good person, and I try really hard, and I, and I like Jesus, and okay. But what I wanna really ask you is, are you pro Jesus? or are you with Jesus? Are you for Jesus, or are you following him? 
Because we're living in a nation and in a day where being pro-Jesus means I like him. He's a good man. He's done good things. He deserves respect. And yet I'll have you to understand that there is no taking up the cross and following him if all you are is for him. Are you with him? Are you following him? Are you pursuing the principles and life that he's called you to for the purposes not just of yourself, but for others? Are you enjoying your relationship with him? Are you living fully in that relationship and experiencing all that he has in store for you? These are the principles that Paul calls us to in his letter to the church of Corinth. And one of these principles is to enjoy our relationship with God and to live out the glory of the gospel in all that we do. I wanna give you three things that I find in this particular chapter, three principles that I think are necessary for you and I as we proceed in our being with Jesus rather than just being for Jesus. The first is, Paul talks about his own life and, and it's something he offers us as well, that we could willingly relinquish our rights for the sake of the gospel. He's continuing on this theme for a church that was pretty proud of themselves. They were, yeah, they were just proud of the fact that they were like easygoing in this area and just floating along and they had power and they had prestige and they were gifted. And Paul challenges them to relinquish rights for the sake of the gospel. Now, I want you to know, you probably heard it when it was read by Kalisa this morning, that the word rights is used continuously in chapter nine. It's used in verse four, five, six, twice in verse 12, once in verse 15, once in verse 18. Let me show you. In verse four, he says, don't we have the right to food and drink? Verse five, don't we have the right to take a believing wife along with us? Six, or is it only I and Barnabas who lack the right to not work for a living? Verse 12, if others have this right of support from you, shouldn't we have it all the more? But we did not use this right. Verse 15, but I have not used any of these rights. Verse 18, in preaching the gospel, I may offer it free of charge and so not make full use of my rights as a preacher of the gospel. This is continuing the argument from chapter eight where Paul says, instead of clinging to your right to do X, you need to think of others and do what's best for the sake of the gospel. And Paul uses a personal illustration here in chapter nine. What he's saying to them is this. He, has, he is not receiving money from the people in Corinth for the ministry he's performing. Now this is really, really awkward. I'm, I want everybody to understand, I'm not about to go that you ought to give me more money. This church has been incredibly generous to our staff. But Paul's point to them is that he made a choice for the sake of the gospel. There was something happening in Corinth that if he would have received pay for what he was doing, it would have altered the gospel and caused difficulties. And Paul is saying over and over, I have the right to receive compensation for my work, but I've chosen not to. Not because I want to be better, but I want the gospel to be heard. And there will be times in all of our lives where we relinquish our rights for the sake of the gospel that we will choose to do what's best for others before we would choose what's best for us. But I do wanna take this opportunity because in a text like this, there are, there are congregations, there are people in ministry who are shamed for being financially compensated. They're made to feel small for taking money. And I wanna tell you this, and I think I can speak, well I'm 100% sure without permission I can speak for our entire staff. I wanna thank this church for its support for each and every one of us that gets the, the privilege of serving in this ministry. 
we know that there are a lot of challenges, especially in this day, but what I wanna celebrate with you is I cannot believe, I mean, I am absolutely boastful about this church when I share with my friends in ministry how much you have sacrificed and been financially consistent during a time when people have lost jobs and people have lost uh, retirement income based on the stock market and when everyone would have a built-in excuse in our culture to simply say, hold on to your money because you don't know how much longer it's gonna be like this and yet you have given and given and given. Even when we weren't able to meet, you've allowed us to pay our bills. We're not going in debt. We're not borrowing money and you're providing for my family and 50 other people on our staff. On behalf of all of us, thank you. Thank you for being caring. And so I'm not Paul saying today, I should get X and I should get Y and I should get Z. I just wanna say thank you for taking care of us as we hope to be able to take care of you. And I also wanna tell you that this is so important for this church. If you ever have a question about where any $1 of your giving goes, ask. We wanna be 100% transparent. There's, there's nothing hidden. We want to be able to honor your giving in such a way for the sake of the gospel. See, Paul's point is not to say that they needed to support him financially. Paul is using a personal illustration to say that there are some moments in life where you have to choose the gospel over yourself, and Paul says, right now, that's what I'm doing. Now, he did take financial support from other places, and he shared that financial support, but Paul's bigger point is will we relinquish our rights? Will we say no to ourselves for the opportunity for the gospel to go forward? Because freedom in Christ sounds like this. In Jesus, you have the right to life, to friends, to marriage, to family, to safety, to security, to health, to happiness. You have the right to eat and drink and watch and wear and read and study and listen to and pretty much say whatever you want. You have the right to organize your schedule, spend your time, choose your career, make your money, use your money, take your vacation, plan your retirement, and in the end, you have the right to do what you wanna do, go where you wanna go, and live how you wanna live. Isn't that a song from the 60s? Go where you wanna go, do what you wanna do. You see, we look at that and we think, yeah, and for Americans, that sparks us. We're like, yes, these are the freedoms we, we boast about in our country. But Paul will go on to say, although you have those rights, the man on the cross and the work of the cross will compel us to surrender those rights so that somebody else might understand fully what it means to be a slave to Christ and to live in freedom. And we are challenged by the word of God to live radically different than our culture. Yet all of those freedoms are blessings, but not all of those blessings must we hold on to as if they were life. So we relinquish our rights for the sake of the gospel. Then Paul challenges us by another example that we willingly rearrange our lives for the spread of the gospel. You see, when we understand that the value of the gospel is and we, and we promote the value of the gospel, we also have to realize that one of the things of being with Jesus is we follow Jesus, we're gonna have an opportunity to spread the gospel. It's not just ours, that we have something to be shared. And I'll say it over and over until I no longer have a platform here. Every gift that God's ever given us was meant to be given away. It was not meant to be hoarded and kept. Amen. It's meant to be shared and offered and get every single gift. I'm still waiting for one person, I, I love being right by the way, but I'm waiting for one person to prove me that I'm wrong on this. Every single gift God has ever given you, beginning with every breath you take, 
is meant to be shared with somebody else for the spread of the gospel. When I look around at the ministry that I see taking place amongst people like yourselves, here's what I see. I see people who have reorganized their entire families to care for foster children who needed a mom and a dad to love them. I see families that are being called in the darkness of the night to take a couple of kids into their home who have just gone through a traumatic experience and they're brought into the home and they're loved and they're cared for and, and my heart breaks on double levels. One is for what the children are going through and other is what will happen to those foster parents when the time comes for those children to leave their home and go to another place and I see tears and rejoicing and I see pain and I see it done for the sake and the spread of the gospel and I stand in awe. I see people who have adopted children into their families and brought them in and taken them as their own so they could simply show them the love of Christ and lead them in a way that matters. I see people who have surrendered their time to serve different groups and different needs across this area sacrificing at a phone call to go and serve and love and care for others. I see people who have drastically reduced their standard of living in order that they might be incredibly generous for the cause of someone else's benefit and actually of no benefit to them on this side of heaven. You see, it will prove, Paul says, to be our greatest joy and accomplishment in this lifetime to give away our time, our ambition, our money, and everything we have and everything we are for the purpose of letting others know that the reason we do this is because God did it for us that God has already demonstrated what generosity, what life change generosity brings. And I know you're hearing me say this repeatedly, but I think it's so important in today's date and what we're facing as a country and as families. My life is not about my rights. My life is about how right Jesus is and how many people need to know that. In verse 19, he says, though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. Paul has gone from language about his rights to language about freedom. And notice the correlation. We think if we give up our rights, we have less freedom. Paul says, no, you actually have more. Because you experience the greatest freedom, which is to deny yourself for the love of others and for the glory of God. 22, I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. That's an offensive statement, that Paul might save some. Well, who needs saved? I did. How about you? I need someone who cared enough about me to speak truth to me, someone who cared enough about me to confront me, someone who cared enough about me to love me after the confrontation and not abandon me for proving that I was a sinner who needed saved. Paul says to save them, not just from the penalty of sin, but to save them for a purpose, to give them a reason to live this new freedom in Jesus, this sacrificial freedom in Jesus that we get to share. Because we have been compelled by the gospel. We are sent forward. I, I remember distinctly when my parents would go, and it, di it didn't happen very often, we always did things as family, but every now and then mom and dad would go do something. And I remember like afternoons, they might go shopping or maybe they need to figure out how to take care of their four boys or maybe they just had a good argument in the car by themselves, I don't know. But my parents would say, hey, we're gonna go, we'll be back, and here's what I want you to do. And my dad would always give us tasks. He'd say, I need you to take care of the garbage, I need you to do this, you to do this, you to do this. And it was always this understanding because my father would look at all of us. Now my parents were great parents. I have no regrets, the parents that raised me. 
but there was no playing, okay? When my dad said he wanted something done, it wasn't optional. And my father would say, I want you three, now, there were four boys, okay, you don't care about any of this, but I'm on a roll. There were four boys. The oldest three of us had to do everything. My little brother has yet to do anything. I just want that in the public record. So dad would speak to the three oldest and he'd say, and then he'd always drop these words at the end, and I want it done by the time we get home, which always drew an immediate question, which was, when are you getting home? Because like any boy, I was gonna wait till five minutes before he was going to arrive to get the job done, and he'd never answer the question. He'd smirk and walk out. He just wanted it done. Now, never for a moment, after having done what my father asked us to do, would I have turned around to my dad and say, that will be 750, please. Because he would have looked at me with a greater smirk and a lot of problems. You see, my dad didn't ask me if I wanted to. My dad asked me to do this, fully expecting that my love and respect for him and the privilege of being a part of their home and all that they had ever done for me should have been enough, amen? amen. Every parent's in here like, amen, where's my child, right? We get that, but it took us a long time to realize that. Now, if my father would call me from 12 hours away and say, I need you this afternoon, I would get in my car, compelled by love, to drive home. See, when the gospel becomes the thing that compels us by love and appreciation for all that's ever been done for us, we will then for ourselves have had the freedom of the gospel in our soul, and it will change the way we act. Look at verse 16. For when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast since I am compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. If I preach voluntarily, I have a reward. If not voluntarily, I'm simply discharging the trust committed to me. Paul says, I'm doing what needs to be done. And I want you to understand here, the word preach, it does not mean what I'm doing right now. Just change it for the word proclaim. Paul says, I can't help sharing the gospel. I can't help talking about it. I can't help showing people what the core foundation of who I am is, to preach the gospel. Not compelled by fear that if I don't, but compelled by love, compelled by honesty. He would say in Romans, I am obligated, but not an obligation out of fear or an obligation of being condemned. But he said, I'm free to preach the gospel because the gospel was free to me. And he offers that hope. You see, God's gracious conversion of us creates a gospel compulsion in us. When you have tasted the goodness of the gospel, you will not keep it to yourself. You will feel compelled to share the life-changing truth of Jesus because we are blessed to be here for others. We are clearly blessed to be here for others. Look at verse 23. I do this all for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. We want them to know God, but we want them to know God with us. And this is the difference between being for Jesus and being with Jesus. That we make space in our lives for people. That we open our homes and we open our minds and we open our opportunities so others can experience all that we have. It's like my joy of teaching both of my sons the things that I love to see if they love them. And to have that experience of, of sitting down and teaching my boys that on Fall Saturdays, between about 1.30 in the afternoon till about 4.30 in the afternoon, when Notre Dame's playing football, our family is going to gather, and you're going to like this. And then after a couple years of training, the fact that they like this is now my joy. It's a moment that we share together, something we've experienced together that I want them 
to enjoy with me and it's great pleasure. And Paul says, we have that same thing with the gospel. When we walk with someone and they experience the love that Jesus gave us, it changes everything about who we are. Now, I hope that I give my kids more than just an appreciation for a good college football game on a beautiful fall Saturday. I want them to experience so much more than that. And as a parent, I have been frustrated at times when they won't open themselves up to what I want them to enjoy. Can I have an amen? And yet I realize they have freedom too. But the offer is what makes my heart pound. Paul says, when I'm with the Jews, I act like a Jew. And when I'm with the Gentiles, I act like a Gentile and we tap our brakes. Is Paul fake? Is he being manipulative? No, Paul says, listen, when I'm trying to share to, the, to a Jewish person about Jesus, it takes a different tactic than it does someone who never knew him. Now, I'm gonna tell a story, and I'm not the hero of this story, and I hope I can tell it better than I did Thursday. There was a guy who was a dear friend of mine in the church in Michigan that we were a part of, and he said, hey, I want to introduce you to my friend Bob. Now, Bob had been churched but was unchurched. Good man, principled man, moral man, but he just wasn't engaged in worship. He wasn't involved in a community, and his friend was concerned about him. And he said, he's a deer hunter. I am not a deer hunter. I know that's a threatening statement to say in this community, because some of you are going to think I'm not a man, all right? But I'm not a deer hunter for several reasons. I grew up in the city, we never had guns, and this cute girl that I married made me promise when we started dating that I would not leave her every November for a month to hunt deer. She was worth it. So I'm like, yeah, I'm not gonna hunt deer. But this guy, Bob, hunted deer. And for me to have any relationship with him, guess what I had to do? I had to go sit in his tree blind at God knows like 1 a.m. in the middle of a cold night waiting for deer that never showed up. And there he sat and he gave me a rifle and he treated me like I was four years old. And there I sat and, and I loved the smell of coffee in that tree blind. But there we sat, freezing to death, all morning long, no deer moving. God's got a great sense of humor. Because what happened was Bob and I developed a relationship and a friendship and he started coming back to church because the preacher wasn't a goofball and he would sit in a tree blind with him and get to know him and then they invited me to play golf and I'd never played much golf and I was absolutely horrible at it. And I started playing golf with these guys and they started giving me an opportunity and I'm not the hero of the story. Can you see what God does? If God can use a tree blind and coffee that I don't drink at 1 a.m. in the morning when we never shot a deer together so that a relationship could be built, Paul says, wouldn't you become all things to all people so that you might introduce them to Jesus? This is what the gospel does. And he says, by all means possible, now, what I wanna be clear of, because I'm assuming I'll get an email or two, this doesn't mean that you cheat, you bend the rules, you sin. I've often heard, especially being at a Bible college for 10 years and teaching full-time these students who are not yet smart, that's why they need to graduate, and they'll look at you and say, well, I'm gonna go do this so I can hang out with sinners. No, Jesus didn't say compromise truth to present the gospel. If you have to compromise truth to present the gospel, you're not presenting the gospel. We need to stand strong on truth, but gracefully. And when the opportunities come, I don't know if you've experienced this, but I know I have. When someone tries to get me to bend the truth so that I can have an opportunity with them, when I stand firm on the truth, I gain more respect rather than lose it. Because principles matter today. People are looking for principled people. Verse 12, Paul says, on the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. You and I can never remove the offense of the gospel. The offense of the gospel is that we are sinners who need saved. 
but we have a savior who is not threatening. We have a savior who's not mean. We have a savior who's not cruel. We have a savior who's not judgmental. We have a savior who already knows what we want to deny and he loves us anyway. The offense of the gospel remains, but the grace of the gospel remains as well. So we purposely relinquish our rights for the sake of the gospel and we rearrange our lives for the spreading of the gospel. And the last point I wanna make today is we run this pathway together for the glory of our God. This is where it becomes practical. Look at verse 24 and following with me. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself might not be disqualified for the prize. I love that verse. Now, I really actually love it in the King James because in verse 27, he says, no, I, in this it says, I strike a blow to my body. In the King James, it says, I buffet my body. But when I was 14, I thought that said, I buffet my body, and I was 100% in. I'm like, yeah, are you kidding? Golden Corral, let's do it. But I misunderstood. Here's what Paul says. In Corinth, there were games every two years very similar to our Olympic games. And the winners would receive a perishable wreath. And it'd be worn around their neck or on top of their head, and it would show that they were the winner. And Paul said, isn't it amazing to spend your whole life practicing self-denial, self-discipline, and single-minded devotion for the cause of winning the race, and you receive this perishable wreath? We think of the Olympic Games. Every four years, the Olympic Games are held, and people get gold, silver, and bronze medals. But here's what I know to be true. When I die, I can't take any of those with me. Paul says, why would you run so diligently for something you cannot keep when you can run for something that can never be taken away? I remember being 1976 doing a book report on a famous athlete. His name was Mark Spitz. Now, for this audience would, would remember him. Some that hear my voice wouldn't. In 1972, he won seven gold swimming medals, and that was an amazing feat. And he was an amazing athlete. He was a good-looking dude. He was on the cover of every magazine. I still remember my Sports Illustrated with him on it. And I wanted to do a book report on him, so I began to look. And then I was absolutely amazed Mark Spitz said he was 26 years old before he ever tasted McDonald's. He did not have a candy bar until he was 30 years of age. He, to this day, as far as I know, has never drank soda. And at that point in time, here's what I concluded. I'll never win a gold medal. <laughs> you see, he denied himself freedoms for the sake of winning, for the sake of competing, for the sake of giving himself the best chance to win his ultimate goal. And Paul is challenging you and me. Would we relinquish our rights for the sake of the ultimate goal of not just appearing before God as a saved believer, but actually be bringing the soul of a person we love to God as our gift? Here, here. I remember the first time I handed my son to my father. I thought, that's cool. <laughs> to be able to present someone I love to my father as a gift for his goodness to me to be able to say, well, let me just ask you this. Would you deny yourself? Would you rediscipline your life? Would you propose a single-minded devotion 
for the sake of giving God the gift he wants most, the souls of his children. Acts 20, verse 24, Paul says, I do not count my life of any value nor of precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. You wanna testify to the gospel of the grace of God? I'd ask you right now to take the elements that we use for the Lord's table, if you would. And before you open them, just want you to hold them for a moment and reason with me. You wanna testify to the gospel of the grace of God? These elements do so. The body and blood of Jesus Christ. You see, because when I asked you this morning, would you relinquish your rights for the sake of the gospel? Would you rearrange your life for the spread of the gospel? Would you run the pathway of obedience and trust God with all the glory he's deserving? I want you to know Jesus did. That's why we're not going to be for Jesus, we're gonna be with Jesus. We're gonna walk the pathway he walked. We're gonna choose the choices he chose. We're gonna honor him as our example. We're gonna introduce people to him, not us. And if I say follow me and imitate me as I imitate Jesus, let's always make sure that we're imitating Jesus so they have something to live for. Because the difference between the saved and the unsaved is not the quality of the person. It's grasping the grace of Jesus Christ. And Jesus has invited us to a table where he gives us a piece of bread and a glass of wine and he says, I want you to eat and drink in remembrance of me. Do so in memory of me. Not just what Jesus did on the cross once, but how the work of the cross every day is penetrating into evil and darkness and bringing light. You and I have the privilege of a lifetime to present someone back to God that we have introduced to his son Jesus who came to reintroduce us to our loving, gracious, kind, heavenly Father. Today we eat and drink, not just as forgiven and cleansed covenantal people, but with the power to increase the kingdom by introducing people to a covenant relationship with Jesus. Let's pray. Father, in a moment as we eat and drink, we do with joy, with privilege, we are honored. We want to live our lives, Father, in such a way that the work you've done in us and the work you're doing for us, we could offer freely to others. Father, open our minds and our hearts. I pray for those this morning who do not have a with Jesus relationship, that they would seek that, that they would come to us and have conversations with those that can walk and disciple them. We pray for those that are on that fence, wondering what it's gonna take. It's gonna take a step of faith, knowing who Jesus Christ is. I pray for those who are followers, that we might put off the for life and put on the with life each and every day, seeking an opportunity to share the grace of Jesus with somebody. Today, as we eat and drink, we remember, we celebrate, we praise you. Amen. Thanks again for checking out this podcast. We hope this teaching helped you to discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. For more resources or to learn about Christ Church in general, visit us online at cco.church.